It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, one actor, and all of us who like to help individuals in the business of business. Uh, Jeremy, here we are once again, and, and today we're gonna talk about encouraging individuality in the workplace. Um, boy, I'm not sure that that's, you know, in the past that was, appreciated. And I'm not sure in a lot of organizations, they're looking for individuality. I love your pauses, Tom. That's <laughs> they're so, They work so well. So I found, and I'll put this uh, article up in the chat. The reason I can't do a screen share is I haven't been able to find it publicly available. I have it through university, um, but it is a it's study. Let me up quick. Uh, the study is, is from 2019. Oh, it's nice. It's called Integrating Diversity at Different Levels, Multi-Level Human Capital, Social Capital, and Demographic D- Diversity and Their Implications for Team Effectiveness, Authors, Toshiva and Hillman, uh, Toshiva from University of Arizona. I will get that link up in the chat. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast episode, you can get the podcast reference there, which may or may not be fully formatted with italics, simply because... <clears throat> In general, and I think this will this will be interesting. And normally we have a couple different articles. There was so this is a really good article to look at. There is a ton of information in the literature review. For those of you who don't know, a literature review is the initial part of a scientific peer-reviewed study of the write-up of the publication. And what that does is a couple reasons for that. A, it's to give whoever's reading the article, it's to give them a back a lot of background information. What have previous studies found? How are these things defined by different researchers? And then the research researchers that are conducting that study will actually provide their definition or simply use someone else's definition of specific terms like social capital or demographic, demographic capital, personal range we'll talk about today. And it's chock full of information and it also shows that the researchers are doing their homework to become experts in their own right on the topic before conducting the study that they're actually showing, here's how our study addresses a gap in the current literature, in a gap in what we know on this topic. So on that note, I'll be I'll be reading and sharing a couple of things from this particular article. 
I will be, I'm not going to do the whole site secondary citations. Just know that they're in there. Again, this is audio for most people. So it might get a little choppy if I'm citing there, but just know there will be some secondary references that I'm citing. And I think what will, I think uh, what I'm planning on doing, of course, everything's negotiable. And I do this is listening to uh, the, the comments from everyone here today. And I've highlighted, I've went through and I've highlighted lots and lots of parts of this article. It's a 21 page article. And I also have a, a Word document that I have prepared with some points. So I'll be able to refer back to those key for questions that are asked to add value to comments that are stated. So I will try my best to play that for today to get us started. And a lot of what this, a lot of what this research goes through is what exactly, you know, how do you break down individuality? And then also what are the implications? This study is really good at providing what what's good for in terms of individuality. What are the goods? What are the bads of capital of uh, capital diversity? There's three kinds, capital diversity, social capital diversity, and demographic diversity. And they are uh, studied based on two different levels, which are personal or individual level character and the second team level character. So I'll provide a little information, a little background before I hand it back over to you, Tom, while everyone's brains are starting to the moment. So to start off, there's a concept called personal range. And this re this is the variety of all these different types of diversity, whether it's human capital, social capital, or demographics that a particular will have. Next, because I'm sharing these different capital types of diversity terms, I want to share how they are represented based on the, uh, the authors of the study. So again, so these three sources, human capital diversity is the variety in someone's skills, knowledge, and expertise. And this is typically derived from different things like what it, with their job functions, their tenure, other experiences, and their education and their occupation. Social capital diversity is it's uh, resources, opportunities available basically through one's networking and through one's relationship. In a nutshell, demographic uni uh, university, demographic diversity refers to observable attributes such as age, gender, race, ethnicity, and nationality, for example. And this is a lot of um, the, the originations are early on in life, and through life experience as well for that. So we have those three types and they're measured and, and looked at through team, uh, through the effects on the team and also through the effects on individual. Tom, I'm gonna turn it back to you. Well, this is interesting to me, Jeremy. And, and you know, if I was leading an organization and I wanted to work on individuality, I would start saying to people, I want you to be your authentic self. I want, you know, the true you to come to the office every day or meet me online. But sometimes that could cause issues uh, because maybe their authentic self is not a benefit to my organization. So how, you know, if I get, because, you know, I mean, they even take a look, for example, of, you know, the guy who was the class clown in, in high school. Um, and maybe that's who he truly is. And, and, <laughs> and Lee's that guy. Um, how do I control Lee? So that he's not creating a disturbance and distracting other people if he's being his authentic self and, and showing his individuality. That's really good. I'm going to that I have an example to share, a real life example to share. And then I also have some questions that we can ask ourselves regarding this. And I feel comfortable sharing this example, A, because I'm not going to use name or company. And also when I spoke with this individual, they were so, aha, 
They said, you can share this with anyone. So on that authentic self, I was coaching, let's just say a mid-level manager of a large corporation who had to give uh, presentations to higher ups in a very formal setting. And feedback that this person got during their annual review was, in a nutshell, you're a little goofy and your people have made note of your uh you know your lack of professional so you know sitting uh actually we were sitting where i was doing the coaching session at a coffee shop nice environment open environment and uh we're sitting there at one of these high top tables he and i had known each other from before so it was you know obviously your conversation and it was very it, it, it was a very quick interaction i said something to the effect of uh, it's. It seems like this is important to your supervisor. The response is yes. They feel I'm not being as professional, but that's my personality, and I want to bring my authentic self. And I said that seems important. He said yes. I like to make people feel comfortable. I'm naturally a little goofy, but I like to make people comfortable in those types of settings. I replied, "How else might they feel when he thought?" He looked away, smiled, and he said, "Uncomfortable because they're uncomfortable for me." And then he said, aha, I'm going against what I'm trying to do. And that was all it took. (laughs) So there's something there. There, There's something there. And there's a a couple questions to self-check questions to ask. Let me find where I wrote them down here. So in thinking about, and this this was meant to discuss later, but Tom, you asked a really good question up front. So now we can start to think about these questions as we go. Think about these, your social capital, human capital, and demographic, not capital, diversity. Think about your social diversity, human capital, demographic. And also, let's face it, we all are different people when we go to work. We're all, we all have different personalities. We say different things. We have you know different accents and we behave differently at work than we do with our friends. Some people, I, I, you know, I remember some people saying to close friends of mine, you are a completely different person at, at work completely different. You're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, not in a bad way, but it's just amazing how it changes because we we all have a work identity. We have a personal, but the key is what are those points of our true identity that we can bring into the workplace? There's these two psychological concepts. One is called actual self and one is called ideal self. And when you look at personal relationships, and when you look at getting in like part, partnerships, relationships, a loved one, somebody like, right? When you, the characteristics that especially like consider living together. You have your actual self and then you have your ideal self. And you learn through that person's actual self, it actually starts to help us shape our ideal selves. Because we start to learn, especially when we're close with someone, things that are acceptable, not acceptable, way out of whack. You know, This quirk is a little stranger than I thought, or this is a very helpful part of me. This I, I, I felt good because of this. So we start to get shaped towards our ideal self. And this is the same kind of thing that we can parallel into the work environment, because what is our ideal work environment? And it can be tough, especially someone coming on to a new organization, or let's face it, we talk about remote work a lot. I wonder, I would, I would be really interested on some new studies in terms of you know individual identity and ideal self and remote uh, in-person settings. So Think about what your aura is. What are your individualistic behaviors, your aura, just that energy that you give off, how people see you initially, observable characteristics, communication styles, inferred characteristics, attitudes, quirk, and information, which is knowledge, and you know, think overall reputation. Then think, 
how are these positively or negatively affecting my team, coworkers, boss, reputation, and career progress? And it will, those are the kinds of things where, yes, we're, we have to encourage individuality in the workplace. And as we get going here, I'm going to share the research that says, here's where this particular diversity characteristic is good for teams, bad for teams, good for you, bad for you. All this workplace related simply in terms of, of data. So with that background and setting the stage, Tom, over to you. Well, let's go right to Dr. Martha. I think it's so important that we are all on the same page in terms of definition of what you're asking for, because you may not get what you're asking for. What does it mean for the employer when they encourage individuality versus how does the employee understand that? There has to be a very clear understanding or you may get something that you later regret as an organization. Asking people to be authentic or encouraging them to be authentic is not the same as inviting them to run amok. Um, and it's perfectly normal to have a different persona for work versus your friends. Just as your work emails should not be the same as what you text to your friends, so too your behaviors require a certain level of professionalism and decorum. And I don't think that those should be um, vilified just because there's this movement of being authentic. Authentic does not mean unprofessional. I remember one organization that I worked with where they implemented a dress down Friday and it was a group of professionals and it was kind of a fun thing to do, but it takes one person to ruin it for everyone. And that person came in ripped up dirty clothes and they were interacting with the outside world and that didn't work for the organization. So there was an assumption that everybody understands what dress down while still in a professional setting means, except for that one person did not seem to be on the same page. So it's so important that we communicate. These things are well-defined and corrected as we go because it is a learning curve for everybody involved. Yeah, I remember when Casual Friday started to become a thing and senior executives who had been putting on a suit for 30 or 40 years really had a hard time transitioning to coming in with blue jeans. Um, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Dr. Martha said. And I kind of see it as first, we have to set agreements for our teams and our organization around what those baselines are. You know, when we're talking about authenticity, we still need things like respect, you know, and you can't use the, the, the term authenticity to be very rude and verbally abusive to your colleagues and then just be like, that's who I am. But on the flip side, I also think we need flexibility, autonomy, and freedom of expression in the workplace where we're not so constrained by the guardrails that we really are no longer bringing ourselves. I've also worked in professions where it did not feel like I was allowed to even bring 50% of my personality. Like it was kind of like, oh, it's senior consultants are like the law. You don't speak in meetings, you know, and that really shuts you down. It makes you distrustful. It takes away your psychological safety and you're no longer even bringing your full energy that you could contribute to the team. So it, with everything, it is this balance of both. Um, and I think that if you're in a professional setting where you do have to be a bit more buttoned up or you're constantly, you know, facing customers or outside people, 
you know, you maybe have to hold that professionalism a little bit higher more often. And in those cases, I would suggest that companies provide outlets. You know, let's say that 90% of your time, you have to be very professional, very on. Well, maybe 10% of the time, you could have internal meetings that allow you to let, let your hair down a little bit, like relax, get to know people on a more personal level, talk about personal things, such as, you know, just life outside of work, not, not too crazy. Um, and then that way, it's like a little bit of both. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is person environment fit. I think there are certain times where one personality will not necessarily fit within a culture. And so I think we're going to see, you know, as we move into the future of work, more emphasis on getting that person culture fit so that there's more alignment from the onset. I want to hold a meeting now where everyone has to speak in a funny accent, uh, <laughs> just to let the hair down a little bit. Linda Ann, let's go to you. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the things that, you know, this is an interesting topic. And again, I just can't uh, diversify this from the, the responsibilities of managers, you know, and how a manager interacts with those people individually and the tone that is set in that situation and the expectations that they set for each of the employees for each other. Another, and, and the example I'll use for that is I remember working on a team and I had two team members who just were oil and water. They were came from very different backgrounds. They just uh, had different work styles. And, you know, one would do her work and she was listening to soap operas and whatever. And that just didn't sit well with the other person. And, and, but she was getting her work done. She did it well. And so I spent a lot of time and it took a lot of effort to help create that environment where there was mutual respect developed because of the fact that I needed this diverse team. I needed that ability to have those different skill sets. And that's one of the things when we talk about diversity, the management task and the management skills that are required to manage a diverse team are exponentially higher than um, what has been going on previously, but the benefit is ex also exponentially better. Let me ask you this, Linda, because as we, yeah, I keep hearing this, it's, it's, it's the manager, it's the manager, it's the manager. As we move forward into the future of work, I'm sitting here going, you got to have some sympathy for the managers because as roles change and adapt, the manager role is like it's it's it, we're getting to the point now where let's just you know break it down and completely rebuild it because it seems like what we're going to be asking of our managers is is changing so much. Is that what you're seeing? You know, I've given this so much thought, Tom, and what I've come to realize is there hasn't been any management training for the most part for anybody in you know, except for maybe some very, very large organizations. Most regular size, you know, 300, 580 employees, there's no management training. And so we're starting from, in, in a lot of cases, the ground up. So it's just the fact that we do the management training now, and that's an expectation that managers should have as they're given responsibility for that. But it's, it's, a, it's a new world. We have not, we don't have to change the management training. We have to do the management training. Good point. Let's go to our class clown league. I'm feeling attacked, Tom. But no, um, you know, I read somewhere that uh, we don't really truly grow up. We just learn how to act in public. 
And, you know, and I think that to some extent that, that that's kind of applicable because, um, you know, there's been this perception of what professional is. And, uh, and some of it's pretty outdated and, and the younger generations are showing us that that's just not been working. And you go into a lot of organizations now where at one point it was, you know, they were buzzing a tie. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And now you're going in, and somebody's got a nose ring, and somebody's got blue hair, and um, you know, it's it's completely changing in a lot of ways. And you know, as far as the the uh, the individuality and the diversity, we this is very timely because we really have to embrace that. Because if I want you to do your best job, I need you to show up as you. I don't need you to. I don't need a clone of me. Lord knows the world doesn't need another one of me. You know, I need you to be you and I need you to bring your strengths and I need you to bring your richness to my team. Um, and actually, it was really interesting. Somebody made a comment last night during during our little event that someone that they and I forget who it was. They said that the difference that they saw between like seeing someone here and seeing someone there, because, you know, the type of event that this is and what we're doing this for versus a we're just having a conversation getting to know each other and just the difference in the way that comes across. and. Uh, and that's huge. And whoever said that earlier, sorry, I had internet issues about giving the opportunities for people to interact in a less formal setting so that they can get to know each other on a different level. You know, uh, I had that yesterday. We joke about it being mandatory fun. You know, we got together and we all got away from work and we went to uh, we went to a, a restaurant and we all, you know, talked. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about the individuality is, you know, coming from a military background, I mean, that's one thing you don't think of when you think military. You don't think individual dress is all pretty similar, you know, there's regulations on the hair and all that kind of stuff. Um, but truly, that is one of the most diverse workforces that we have. And when you really get down to the brass tacks, you have people from you know every culture, every every background, every religion, uh, you know, the gender diversity, all of that stuff. And, you know, now we have the diversities in the, in the LGBTQ plus and, and the whole thing. And, you know, it's been a challenge for leaders to understand and accept that the people that they are leading are not the same as them where once they could kind of they could kind of assume even though they really weren't they, they you know you had to act in a certain way and now we're embracing that to some extent of you know we're having you know hispanic heritage event or, or you know whatever it may be and we're learning about the backgrounds of these people in ways that we didn't before and we're learning about the richness of experience and knowledge that these people are bringing and uh, there's far more individuality than people on the outside think there is. Uh, I mean, yeah, when we're all standing in formation, everybody's standing in formation, you all look the same. But when you get into the work center, you figure out this guy's good at that, that guy's good at that, you know, and you, and you kind of split that out and you play to the strengths or you fail. Um, and with that, I'll leave it to Dr. Martha. <laughs> Before we go to Dr. Martha, you know, it's really interesting what you said, because I can remember teaching young actors and you know, a young man would come up to me and go, I'm a Johnny Depp type. And I'd go, well, Johnny Depp is going to get all of those roles over you. So you better find your own individual, unique, authentic self. Um, but you also mentioned the influence that this new generation of workers, and it seems like, you know, flex work, how we work. We've been talking about that for a long time. But all of a sudden now with this new generation who are very vocal about how they will and will not work, we seem to be adapting to them. Is it the time that, you know, this is just happening at the right time because everybody's looking for employees and you have to now actually do things to encourage people to come and work for you. 
So is it just a matter of the time, or do you think that this generation, which is now coming into the workforce, is having a major influence on how we even think about work? I think it's a bit of both, really, because I mean, when you look at you know the the, the boomer generation, like you know people are retiring and moving out of the workforce, and you have this massive amount of people in these younger generations that are entering the workforce now, and uh, you know you don't add something to something else without influencing it. I mean, you know, it's just like the drop of, of, you know, color you put into a glass of water. It's going to change it. And that's what we're having. And we're getting more and more and more of these people in. And with the younger generations, with this uh, uh, great resignation and everything, you know, we're coming to a point where you can't hire somebody, expect them to toe the line and stay for 20 years because they're afraid to lose their job. You know, now I expect them to toe the line and they say, heck with you, I'm going to work somewhere else. And so we're kind of being forced in a way to to change, you know, because change often is done kicking and screaming. I mean, let's face it. And, and so I think the smart companies, the ones that will still be here, are the ones that are realizing the the, the depth of the bench, as it were, and that, okay, so maybe I got to deal with some purple hair. But that person is smart. And um, and I tell you, some of these things lately, some of the I.O. people, I've been talking to a lot of students and early career people. And it astounds me. You know, I forget how smart people are sometimes until, but they're not afraid to show it. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they try to, you know, but these, these younger people are not afraid to tell me how smart they are. Not in a, hey, look at me, I'm smart, but just in the things that they come out with and the stuff that they're teaching in these programs now that weren't even a thing when I was in school. Uh, and, uh, and I try to be open enough to listen and I'm better for it. Um, and those who don't, they're going to be the ones that they're, they're, their uh, organizations are going to fail. And, you know, my daughters are in that age group and they teach me something new all the time. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things that Lee brought up, the idea that um, new employees coming in won't necessarily have any kind of desire to stay with an organization for 20 years, get that retirement party, and then live happily ever after. <clears throat> but, you know, part of that reality is that organizations gave up their commitment to their employees long before employees wised up and said, if you're not going to be committed to me until I retire, there's no way I need to be committed to you. So that was part of that entire change. So there's, you know, it's just another illustration of how many different factors come into play when we're looking at change. I remember a time when uh, organizations would not allow for employees, especially employees who interacted with customers, to have any visible tattoos on them. So if you had tattoos on your arms, you better wear long sleeves and hope that your tattoos end at your wrist. Now, I don't think anybody even pays any attention to that. So look how things are shifting. One other thing that I wanted to comment on is Linda Ann brought up the importance of environment, right? And, and with environment, you can also think about culture. So we're asking or exploring the idea uh, of asking people to be authentic, more authentic. But are we providing uh, the environment as an organization to allow them to feel comfortable enough and safe enough to be authentic? Some people are more uh, trusting than others. Some people are more reserved by nature. Some people have history where they've paid the price for being authentic and never again. So you really don't know 
what's going on with each individual person. On top of that, are you providing that environment, that culture? So that's something else to consider as well. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I actually wanted to jump back to also what Lee was talking about, about individuality. And that's something that I've seen coming into the mainstream and on LinkedIn and things more often around what does it mean to be a professional in the modern day workplace? And um, I'm just going to say it this way, and if it comes off wrong, you guys just call me out on it. But, you know, it's kind of coming from a white dominated culture of what it means to be a professional in the modern day workplace. And that can negatively impact people of color who have gotten negative commentary about how they're wearing their hair or, you know, even the types of art in the background in a remote setting in their house. And so I think we are right now really grappling with including diversity in our workplaces. And this is pushing us to change some of our social norms that were created by the majority groups that have been, you know, pioneering business a little bit longer with greater resources over the last century. So I think that's also pushing it, you know, and I think that includes, you know, LGBTQ clothing expression, you know, whether a woman chooses to wear predominantly traditional male clothing, things like this, where, you know, it pushes people to look at their biases, to think about what it means to be professional versus not. And then lastly, I think that also includes the younger generation. So I have um, a close friend who is now a manager of a Gen Z individual. And even the way that they communicate is much different. And there's a temptation to push their communication into the established norm versus accepting it. But sometimes I find it even funny. Um, So she didn't have any work to do. And so the Gen Z um, person, she said it would be fun and funky if you had something for me to do today, which is just kind of hilarious and shows where we're at. But, you know, continuing to question where are the ways that we can, you know, allow ourselves to adapt to a new normal versus which parts of the aspects of the professionalism do we want to maintain? Respect is a big one for me, but, you know, a number of others. I like that. (laughs) Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Bravo, Dr. Thompson. That was well said. But one thing, be careful when you ask for fun and funky, because to some people, funky, you know, that has to do with scent. So you may may not like what you what you get. You know, I think it's absolutely right that we are looking at very much a Western society definition of what is professional. And when we are now integrated globally, we have colleagues from around the world colleagues who have different languages, different cultures, different traditions, different belief systems. We have to be cognizant of that. We absolutely have to remember that. But you're right in your comment that so much of these unspoken rules or sometimes spoken rules are based in that predominantly Western, often predominantly white um, type of set of rules or parameters And we're asking everybody else to fit into that. And that made me think of what Ali was saying about the military and how truly diverse it is under this this look where everybody looks the same. It's almost cult-like, right? Everybody's got the same haircut, the same uniform. And you would never know unless you asked or looked for it just how diverse and valuable 
uh, that group of people is through its diversity. Um, Carl Lee, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your opinion on some of this because, well, I'm old and <laughs> and I, I'm always interested in the voice of younger people, especially now as we're going to this transition, because you know, as we transition, I'm lucky enough in a few years, I'll be leaving the workforce, but you're going to be here for a while. So how do you see all this? Yes. Um, <clears throat> great question. And it's, it's Carolee, but it's okay. Sure. But yeah, I'm actually with my master's and I am in May. And so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this individuality. We had conversations like the, my grad program as well. And I always come back because it, it, it is important. I want to feel like I can express myself in the workplace. I want to feel like I can wear my fun outfits, but I always want to give the other people, how am I being put? How is this affecting the organization? How would it affect my, I think it comes down to like discretion, personal, like um, discerning on like, okay, is this outfit, you know, what I'm about to sip to other, not in a, not in a way it's just so touch and go. Cause you don't want to live your life. Like constantly, am I going to offend someone <laughs> or am I going to hurt someone else? But then you want to have that um, that heart of like that heart posture of, I want to join an organ, want to well. Um, but I also understand I have in parts about myself that the assets to whatever organization that I join. And so those are kind of the thoughts that have been like going around my head as we have had this discussion today, but then also wondering from an organization standpoint, how can we select for that individuality that can be an asset, to, but then also understanding like, like Linda Ann was earlier that day within the organization, understanding that diversity, but where you have diversity, you will have like that conflict and that, but that, that isn't bad. Either. And so I feel like I just, just brained on my thoughts, but <laughs> that's currently, yeah, kind of what I've been discussing. Yeah. There's been a lot of chat online about, you know, as we go to more of a global workforce, just the cultural issues that we're going to find, because, you know, I don't think anyone really wants to, you know, step on someone's cultural toes but it happens and it's going to happen until we get to know each other, maybe just a little bit better. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. So as I was coming up um, and learning about the professional world, I was taught that a professional, what it means to be a professional is that you do your work well on time and you do it without having to be babysat, right? You get you get your work done, you get it done well and and um, nobody has to tell you to um, double check your work or have you done this X, Y, and Z. To me, that's where the level of professionalism is. And as far as, you know, how your appearance and so forth, that was what I learned was that if you're meeting the outside world, you know, um, clients and so forth, that you match your clients so that they feel comfortable. And that was the guideline. In other words, you don't show up to a construction site in your three-piece suit and your Louboutins, right? And <laughs> so, uh, because then they you lose credibility and and all those kinds of things. So the the guideline was that if you're meeting clients, you reflect how they would dress. That helps them feel comfortable. And so they were very. Um, what I learned coming up were very broad, but. Uh, helpful guidelines. You know, it, it kind of takes me back to when I was teaching in post-secondary and this, we had a really great student union there and they would organize activities. And I don't know, how, I'm, I'm going to assume that everyone knows what onesie pajamas are. They would have a day where students could dress up in their onesie pajamas and come to class, which was always a little bit like, 
I'm not sure how I feel about this. But, you know, it really didn't affect the work and everybody had a lot of fun. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. You know, I think the bottom line here is what makes up a civilized society is having enough consideration both for those around you and for yourself. Respect those around you and respect yourself and look for that balance. It is when things become unbalanced, that's when we see problems. If things become unbalanced too much in your own favor, then you forsake everybody else. And if you consider everybody else to such a degree that you forsake yourself, that's unhealthy. So, you know, we struggle with these things. Oftentimes, I think the answer is so simple. Just have some respect for both yourself and those around you. And it's not going to be as hard as people make it out to be. Although sometimes I feel that's a little bit like common sense. It's not very common. It's not very common or popular. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy, let's go to you. This is a great discussion. The I want to read something from just from this article, just some of the research findings, and then bounce off from that just to share a little more of this information. Uh, overall, empirical evidence suggests that the relationship between diversity and out, team outcomes is complex. Well, we kind of knew that, but it's validating hearing it here. So again, and <clears throat> we're also talking about these three types of diversity. Again, human capital, what were they? <laughs> human capital relationship and uh, or social is what I meant and uh, demographic. Um, a, a little tidbit here. As examples, Horowitz and Horowitz 2007 found that task-related diversity has a positive impact on team effectiveness, whereas demographic excuse me, demographic does not. Joshi and Rowe, 2009, found that task-related diversity has a weak positive effect on performance, whereas relation-oriented diversity has a negative effect. So we can read into that however we want. Topically, I want to address that is going back to typically how diversity has been studied, and I'll just read from it here. Diversity research has a long tradition of distinguishing between categories of diversity, which are surface ver surface level versus deep level and task related versus relations oriented, and then demographic. Versus. So typically they juxtapose those to each other. And when you look at when you look at diversity, when you look at surface versus deep level, this part of appreciating the person that you're working with and what they bring comes to mind. The Some of you are familiar with the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Uh, I think Gary Chapman, you all are fit the five language love, I think it is, it is. And so he got together with a organizational researcher and they have this other thing. They have an assessment. It's called the MBA, the motivation, but you've got a book out and everything. But one of the things in there is if the question often arises, hey, what if I have this employer, this colleague that I just don't appreciate at all? There's there's a couple ways to look at it. One is, what are you looking hard enough? I mean, is it how it's got to be pretty hard to find something about somebody that you know, at least one thing. It's got to be pretty hard. So if that question ever comes up in anyone's mind, look a little harder. Are we being a little, uh, I don't know, whatever, closed-minded, uh, barriered? So that's important too. And when you look at all the characteristics, when we talk about diversity these days, I think there is a uh, little bit of a trap that can be happening when we're failing to look at what are the deep level characteristics. Because each person, no matter what their outward, we look at demographics, <clears throat> age, everything, we run the risk of representative heuristic in that regard. And these representative heuristics, psychological term, but basically means stereotypes. And you can get into representative heuristics and how 
you know, it's, it's, it's very simple. You know, do we run from a, a bear kind of stuff? So it all goes back to that stuff. Representative heuristics has, have saved us as humans, but of course they all have their tremendous fallbacks because a heuristic is a shortcut, mental shortcut. When we start to take mental shortcuts about people, first impression, or groups, <clears throat> stereotyping, that can also get us into a lot of problems. So again, it's like everything else with them. It's good and there's good. So if we look, start to look at, I th- look, look at the deep level characteristics in terms of more of the individuality aspect, because you can have a, an entire group of you know people the same age, but underlying, there's so many other diversity characteristics. When you look at this, uh, this term, which I mentioned earlier, does anyone remember it? The person range, personal range refers to the variety of human capital, social capital, and demographic individual. So we look at somebody's personal range as their individuality, and then we can look at how that plays into maybe a particular demographic group or a particular work team. I think it's important to really start to realize what the extreme values are based on some individuality. Something else that I was, you know, based on these conversations, social norms, it's an interesting effect because think about, you know, just through history, it's just an interesting thing. Like sometimes with the individuality aspect, if we have, or if we're we're individualistic, like for example, if, you know, I come to work with googly eye glasses and, you know, cursing, right? Maybe it's not obviously not good. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But if everyone starts to do that, that becomes a social norm. Now everyone's doing it. Now I just lost my individuality because now it's just something that everyone's doing. So we also have to be careful when we're looking at what are the things that make us special and how do we hold them near and dear to us? And how do we look at these questions that I asked in the beginning? What's your what's your aura? What are your behaviors that make What are your thought processes, your work preference? And how do you tie those in specifically to the stakeholders um, and the end goals too? Your boss, your peers, those kinds of things. So these are important things to look at. And there's also when we look at um, you know, going back. So now I'm just going back to the general, you know, kind of informal types of conversation with the if I go into work with just all the time with ugly eye glass and cursing. There's also, it's it's not a bad thing to have these social norms where it says, hey, that's not okay. And kind of going back to Linda Ann's comment of your um, dress to your client kind of a thing so that they are appreciative of that too. So there are norms and there's also not, there's there's an opportunity cost and there's also consequence, consequence, which we have to understand. If I go and start, you know, maybe, and I'm not, but maybe if I'm the person who just curses all the time when I'm not at work. And I start bringing that into the work because, hey, this is who I am. I have to realize that that's just going to have consequences for me or my career. And then you might, you're not going to sit here and do a whole cost benefit analysis, but it would do me good to say, wow, that's probably not good for my career, for my, for the money I'm going to be making and for the effect I have on other people and for my personal brand. So these things are important. And again, that's why it's all complex. And that's why it's interesting to have these particular types of conversations because they are they are important to have and simply talking about it as we are and sprinkling in some research, I think is a really good way about it because we all need clarity and we all want to get to, you know, about, you know, everyone wants to be in a better place tomorrow than they are today and feel good about them. So I believe this is a great start. Tom, you're muted. There we go. Uh, with that, Jeremy, we've only got about nine minutes left. So I want to come back to this, but do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on with CBOC? Because the calendar seems to get busier and busier. Yes, there are a lot of things going on with CBOC. I'm going to have to 
there's so many that I have to, have to pull up the page real quick. So you, A, you can go to cbock.com slash events and you can see all the different events. Uh, there are plenty of free public events. There are also, we're listening to our members. We're getting more and more reasons for engagement, for the networking, for the support. Uh, next week, uh, just to mention our Thursday regular week scheduled event is how your managers can capitalize on the domino effect of employee appreciation. So that's regular for next week. For our members, we do have a CBOC member event, virtual online escape room. That is next, I want to say Monday, it's October 31st at 12 p.m. And Dr. Dustin eating that one. And she is going to have some. Uh, I'm very excited. We also have our regularly scheduled uh, member momentum sessions, half hour every other week on a Tuesday. These are all up on the website. And we also have a uh, member uh, mind trap game where one Friday a month we play that. We do have next week, November 15th at 6.30 PM, we have a joint IO psychology actual network, CBOC and IO military experts that is open. All you have to have is an entrance psychology IO and workshop. Our next monthly workshop is 17th. That's a $10 ticket, the CBOC member and free employee engagement and a pretty workplace. And lastly, whew, uh, the Pathfinder peer group meetups are every third Friday, the next one, 18th, led by two quick updates. We do have a calendar view now on the events page. So you can just so many week calendar view toggle between that. And if you haven't listened to the episode 103 of the work cookie podcast, so the one we're recording now is likely I think it's up now. It's uh, my, me and Dr. Destiny just got together and we're going to start doing these regularly. The IO show, we're just going to have very one line type of topic. And we start out in different ways. You get to hear Dr. Destiny sing on an episode of three. She does. It's called the jingle. And we, we hang out, we, we laugh, we talk about stuff and IO. And then also Tom is working with his partner. How do we create really enhanced starting next year, built out podcast? A lot of, and I don't want to, so and I was, go ahead. And I just wanted to mention that I uh, attended the networking event last night uh, for IOs and uh, that was really good. And one of the, the great things I loved about it was there were some students who came in and joined the group and for them to be able to ask, you know, people who have been in the industry for 20 years, questions was was really great to see yes yes it's uh destiny does a great job with the breakout rooms and lee you've got something to say about this oh yeah the one last night wasn't destiny's that's the one that i uh, the pop-ups i've been doing oh that was yours okay forgive me we get a lot of we do get a lot of students in early career and it's great um thanks to everybody who did show up last night for those i missed i had a work conflict so i got in late um but we've been trying to do them every week or two they've been uh, very eye-opening and uh, conversations. And anyone can follow follow Lee Krausen on LinkedIn and you can see his post for Occur. And also follow the CBOC company page because we post a lot of events and a lot of different things there. Even networking opportunities, some job opening. Be sure to follow the page there. Tom, over. We've just got about four minutes left. And one thing I wanted to throw, and we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but when we're looking at individuality and the cultural aspects, you know, we're going to have a lot of holidays, which people don't share. So, you know, I celebrate Christmas, but a lot of people don't. Um, I think we're having Diwali right now. Um, and, you know, I would love to go and celebrate that, but uh, but I don't have an opportunity. But how are we going to negotiate different cultural aspects like 
holidays. The rule of thumb that I use is say whatever holiday you celebrate. You know, if you celebrate Christmas, then say Merry Christmas. I don't think anyone's offended if somebody who celebrates Hanukkah comes to me and says, Happy Hanukkah. I would say, Happy Hanukkah. You know, that that's that's the rule. Um, so we'll put out a, a you know, some some posts. We'll put out a Merry Christmas for for Seabach. And, you know, it's it's just again, it's all about celebrating. Everyone has different things they like, different beliefs. And it opens our perspective when people can say, hey, this is what I celebrate. And that also opens up conversations to learn more about those things. So that's my rule of thumb. Say what you celebrate. It makes it easy for everyone. Over to you, Tom. Well, and sometimes people don't seem to get to the point to realize that, you know, if you've got a diverse workforce, you don't have to close down at Christmas time because you're going to have employees who are going to be working. And so, you know, you can actually allow everyone to celebrate their own holidays individually. And if you've got that diverse work crowd, you know, you can go 365 days a year, which people really want to do. Uh, and with that, Jeremy, we're we're basically out of time. Uh, any last thoughts? Looks like Linda Ann a hand. Oh, yes. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I just wanted to kind of build on the the recognition of the different uh, holidays. I And I see it as a huge opportunity to educate people about the, the, the diversity and the value or what it means to those people. So when we understand things, we have a greater uh, ability to accept them and to integrate that information. So I see it as, you know, if, if you're a remote workforce, just when it comes, announce that it's the holiday and invite people to share information about it so that we all become more educated and more tolerant. Boy, if we can just start those conversations, uh, the world would be a better place, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's amazing what you learn when you talk to people. Yeah, I remember, I think it was about a, a little over almost two years ago now, um, I was on you know a different platform talking to people all over the world. And I was doing some, giving people advice about how to improve their English, especially people who have learned English as a second or third language. And I had the opportunity to talk to people in Afghanistan as all of the conflict was going on. And so it really gives you a different view of things when it's not being filtered through the media, when you're actually talking to people who live in those situations. Uh, and with that, Jeremy, we are out of time. So why don't you count us out of here? Loved it. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.